2: hey there nicks fans (laughs) how you doing it's your boy John of the Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Man, this is a special one. Uh, so as you saw from your podcast feed, I'm sure maybe if you caught social media uh on Wednesday afternoon when uh Andrew first started spreading the word, uh, today's guest is kind of a big deal. Um, we try to do these these uh ceremonial episodes up if we can uh 300 of course was mike breen 400 with jeff van gundy uh i only had one more really big box that i wanted to check and that is today's guest zach Lowe. uh i will uh, save my thoughts on him for a minute from now but first just a really a quick word on 500 episodes. Well, actually, before I even say that, I should say there's there's no real Nixon news to report since we since we last recorded today. Uh as I'm giving this intro, uh it's Wednesday, 7 30 p.m. Uh, no signings official. So we're still waiting to see. Is it a Brunson signing trade? Are the are the Detroit trades gonna be combined? So it creates a big trade of player exception. So nothing to talk about there. Um so yeah, five hundred. Uh, boy. That's a lot. <laughs> That's, if you had told me when I first sat down and recorded the very first episode of this uh, podcast at my kitchen table in my old house, uh, I think it was about four years ago, which I never, I, I never promoted or... I don't, like it's, It exists somewhere. I think you can find Or maybe you can't because I think it's on our old podcast feed. In any case, it was literally just me talking into a mic for 10 minutes, not knowing what I was doing. And the whole point of the first podcast Was not to, like, make a big deal. Like, hey, this is this is the next film school podcast. It was literally so I could figure out how I could upload the thing properly and get it out to like iTunes or Spotify or whatever other places you know people get their podcasts. Um, Because that was back in the day when I was doing all this stuff on my own. I had no idea what I was doing, but fumbled my way through. I don't I don't know how many episodes I fumbled my way through, um, and then. You know, uh, things started to change, obviously for the better, when Andrew Claudio came aboard, started producing. Uh, when obviously Jeremy Cullen became my regular co-host, uh, and as we've continued to add more people to the team here, uh, Chris Percyinen, uh, Ben Ritholtz, um, we have like such an extended family of people. Like you know, Fred Katz always coming on from The Athletic and being, a you know, pretty much a regular guest now. Um, Tom Piccolo, congratulations, Tom. I uh, had, a, had a child a couple of weeks ago. Shout out to you. Um, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. And I, I could sit here and I could go through every person who's ever um, been on the show and thank them. But just suffice to say, if you have appeared on the Knicks Film School podcast, um, I will say, one, I appreciate you taking the time to do it. And two... At no point did I ever ask someone to come on, and like it was always like, man, I, I, I I'm really, I just, I appreciate this person taking time out of their schedule. Um, and if I didn't properly express that to anyone who ever appeared as a guest on the show, um, I apologize for that because you know life is freaking busy, and people have better shit to do than come on here and talk about what is often a, a crappy basketball team. Um, but they've done it, and. You know, the team here at Nick's Film School is just like, I, I'm in awe that I get to work with these people. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it, it's it's really cool because the community is why we do it. And if you are listening to this right now, you are a member of that community. Um, you know, it, like any community, it's not perfect. We have, <laughs> we have we have we have there's fighting at the dinner table occasionally uh, different opinions on on. All, all sorts of different, different things. I don't, I don't know what the topic of the hour is that people are fighting about, but I'm sure it's something that's not the point though. The point is that, you know, fan communities of fans to me are, you know, that that's, that's why you watch sports. So, cause when you're, when you're sitting there and you're rooting for your team to win, when we, when we sit there and we root for, you know, Whatever RJ Barrett told to throw it to Mitch for a lob or quickly to hit a step back three. Like we know that there are quite literally millions of other people in the world because the Knicks fan base goes farther and deeper than than any fan base in, in certainly in the NBA, and I would argue in the world of sports. Um like you know that there are so many other people out there doing it with you. And that makes it special. And the fact that we have been able to play some small role in people's experience rooting for this team Um often futilely. And that, you know, and like we joke about it, it's like you, you, you laugh to keep from crying sometimes, but it, like the fact that they are, you know, have struggled a lot as we often talk about, I, I think it makes it even more special because You know, again, there's so much shit going on in the world. It's just it's easy to just give up on things that aren't worth it, that aren't worth your time. And I don't know, maybe there are some people out there who over the last whatever, 5, 10, 15, 20 years have been like, you know what? To hell with this. I'm not going to waste my time anymore. I feel like even the people who are like the pessimists, you know, people who think like, ah, you know, they're never going to win anything under Dolan and like "Eh, Brunson not getting them anywhere they're sticking with it. You know, no, no one wants to give up because that's what makes it fun. You, you, you root through the bad times. So you get to experience the joy in the good times. And uh, yeah, I'm going, I'm getting off, off, off the beaten path here, but suffice it to say, um, it has been an honor to, to do 500 of these. I think this. I don't even know what this is. just is technically like five hundred one, five hundred two would have been um, great if we could have had Zach on for five hundred on the dot. But uh, he was a little busy reporting on free agency as it was happening. Um, so that's a good transition to to talk about Zach briefly before he comes on. So um, obviously, if you listen to the show, and I'll make reference to this when I introduce him, you obviously know Zach Lowe's name because I bring him up all the goddamn time. Um, I. To say that I think he is the best there is to do this, um, I've you know I haven't been watching the NBA for all of its existence, and I obviously haven't been reading all of the reporting and analysis of the NBA, you know, from when it first started. But like, I feel pretty comfortable saying that Zach Lowe is the best NBA analyst that has ever. Been around, and the reason I feel comfortable saying that is because, for many, 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 many years, the people who covered the NBA—it's just like any other sport—they were, they were just journalists. They were people who reported the news about the NBA. They report, you know, and they and they wrote brilliant, amazing, beautiful uh, stories and uh, magazine articles and books. And then at, at some point, and I don't know exactly when that point was, I, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I honestly, I can't even really say the the reporting of this sport. And I think every sport started to morph into something different where people would give it wasn't just opinions of like, oh, I think this player is good. I think this player is bad, but really get into the nitty gritty of the the why and the how and all of the other stuff and that for me was when i but and i obviously i was always a nick fan but like when i went from just someone who watched the games and then would read you know I, like everybody else i would pick up the daily news or the post the next day and and read the story and that was that that was when my interest in the sport began to deepen and turn into something else and the first guy who I read religiously about the NBA was Bill Simmons. And I listen, we we could joke about what Bill is now and maybe his takes aren't, aren't aren't so great anymore, but like give him credit, he was really the first one doing it in that way. But something changed when Zach came along. And I remember when Zach was first with sports illustrated. And then obviously he went over and joined up with Bill uh, when Bill had Grantland. And that's to me what, I mean, that's the best sports writing I think I've, I've, in my opinion, that I've ever read is when he was with Grantland and and was allowed to kind of really do what he wanted to do. And, you know, and then now with ESPN, um, there's never, in my opinion, been anybody quite like him. There are those who are close. There are those who are very close and we're very, very good at what they do. For my money, there's no one as good as Zach. And you may disagree with his analysis, You may disagree. I mean, and and this is why this is why of everybody that I like I very few people do I really consider an inspiration. I consider him an inspiration because all I ever want, you could think I'm an idiot. And God knows many of you, I'm sure, do. Um, Thank you for listening, though, by the way. Uh, You could think I'm an idiot, but I'd like to think that at least anyone who thinks I'm an idiot says, well, he's wrong about this. And I know he's wrong about this, but I think he's he's earned the right to have the opinion because I think he's put in the time. And. That's something that I learned from Zach Lowe, and he talks about that a little bit on the show today, and and you know why he is as good as he is because I asked him. Um, Because you, again, you may not agree, but to say that he doesn't put in the work and put in the time to hold these like hold valid opinions again, they may not be right, but they are valid, and I think there was a difference between those two things. So. It was just incredibly special for me to have him on to celebrate 500 episodes. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it actually was happening until it happened. And, and then it did. Um, and just one last note on this and, and just thank you to everybody. And I haven't had time to go through them, but like, I know Andrew tweeted about the, the show uh, again on Wednesday night. Thank you to everybody who, Said you know congratulations or something kind about the fact that again Zach's coming on and and the last thing I'll say and then we'll get to the interview is this it's amazing it's like so many everybody I feel like knows what this interview means to me and the fact that people from what I could glance at least on on Twitter the fact that that meant something to people or that means something to people that this means something to me is just like, you know, I I really don't have the words. Cause like, I'm not, I'm not someone who has a whole lot of friends. Um, I I have family. I'm, you know, not other than my, obviously my wife and my kids who are my whole life, you know, there's not a ton of family I'm close to. And the fact that there's this community of people out there, again, I'll, I'll reference it again, the community, right. Who, are there to celebrate this with me and hopefully enjoy it. Cause it, by the way, it's a good interview. So not anything that I had to do with it. Zach gives some great stuff in the interview. I should clarify. Um, but yeah, the fact that there are so many people who are happy about it, just um, yeah, I don't have the words to express how much that means to me. So uh, I've been babbling on for long enough. Without further ado, here is ESPN's Zach Lowe. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, oh boy, 500 episodes in the making. Um, A guest that needs no introduction, and our listeners will know that because we literally have a drinking game for every time I bring up his name. Andrew has to take a drink because I mention things he writes and things he says on his podcast so often. Um, The man who is literally the reason that I do This, um, and why I'm so 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 beyond appreciative that he is kind enough to join us for a few minutes.
3: ESPN Zach Lowe, hello, sir. What's up? How are you doing? Thank you for the kind words, they're ridiculous, but I will take them in a world of a lot of negativity and all sorts of bad stuff everywhere. I will take the, I have learned to just take the nice words and not deflect them away as I used to do.
2: I'm working on that. I gotta say, you are of all the reasons that like you have been an inspiration to me because I know where we lean the same way on a lot of things the way that you can kind of just like I'm going to have a podcast in which I talk about basketball which is nonsense compared to all of the other things but you do it and you do it so well so you know thanks for that I try I try to do I do my best let's put it that way <laughs> Yeah it's all we can do um Let's jump right into it because uh, I don't have you for for I could talk to you for hours about this uh, wretched basketball team that I oh, was stop stop we're going,
3: we're going negative right off the bat I'm 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 going realistic
2: they're not they're not wretched they have been wretched at times over the last 20 years as you know they're not wretched right now and that is a good thing and I'm happy about that and I'm happy to have a conversation about a competent what I think is a competent team but, but I do have to start here because you know, Leon Rose, it's been 27 months now with this regime. And like, look, we, we didn't need Windors to go on on TV when they were hired and say something's going on in New York now. We knew what was going on in New York. We knew what the plan was from day one. Um, they're there. They were brought here to bring a certain type of player to New York. That that player is not yet here. Just you talk to more people than anybody. It, what do people around the league, media, teams, anything, do? They think this group has a a clue what they're doing above, like, hey, let's just keep kicking the can down the road. Eventually, we're going to get you know that guy or those guys, or or is is there more skepticism than maybe meets the eye?
3: I th- there there's. Uh, it, it cuts both ways. There there definitely is more of a sense that the Knicks have a plan than there was five years ago, six years ago, 10 years ago, when they were seemingly just flailing at every shiny object in sight. Um, yes, the star that the CAA star has not come yet. Uh, and that was sort of the implied expectation maybe upon at least the one that fans had upon Leon Rose and World Wide West coming aboard. I do think I would like to revisit alternate universes where the Suns and the Wolves don't all of a sudden get good and competent, which I think the Knicks were wagering against as many other teams were wagering against. And now yeah. Devin Booker and Carl Towns seem to be staying put uh, for the foreseeable future. But I I the Knicks They've, they've struck out uh, on the big names. Last season was incredibly frustrating. I I can't imagine, you know, I have to watch all 30 teams. So I didn't watch 82 games of Julius Randall jab, stepping from the left elbow and taking fadeaway jump shots. I can imagine that that grew frustrating after 17 games. I don't know. A, a, t- um, t- a tad, a, a tad. Um, but uh, ignore the sound of the printer printing something right now, if that's interrupting you. Um,
2: that's, that's Julius Randall faxing you a picture of a thumbs down emoji.
3: Yeah, it, it could be. I did enjoy that though. That was a fun plot twist when he started thumbs downing. Um, but I, also, they haven't hemorrhaged anything in the future. They've kept their, 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 you know, quiver of draft picks pretty clean and pretty full. I, I thought I thought what they did at this year's draft was fine. Like everyone yeah. hated it. They traded out of eleven. Eleven may be the best pick and all that big transactions of picks that they made. But they got future stuff. They held on to the future pick picks. They're armed to make a trade. I think Toppin's interesting. Quickly is interesting. Barrett's going to be really good. Is already really good. Uh, we'll see what the Mitch deal looks like in a couple of years. And I don't even think the Brunson deal is that bad. So yeah, I mean, like they're kind of on the treadmill of mediocrity, but they haven't expended any of their future to be mediocre. And I think their plan all along has been, we got to do kind of what the Nets did in a different way, which is be good and competent for a sustained period of time. And then strike while the iron's hot. The key is going to be, you know, the one of the, they've gone after Carmelo Anthony. They went after Amari Stoudemire. They always seem to get, I guess, other than Melo, the consolation prize. Like they can't, when they put their chips in, it can't be for the wrong guy. And so that's that's what the next thing is.
2: Let's stay there for a second, because you mentioned a bunch of guys I want to get back to in a minute. But so, and you mentioned the quiver and it's an it's the biggest quiver in terms of stuff that they've had, arguably, I mean, since I've been watching the team. Um, and now here comes a guy, Donovan Mitchell, who I think you, I think you said it on your pod, uh, the last part of the one before that, I forget. He, what is he? The 20th best player in the NBA, 18th, so, I don't know, whereabouts, right? They could. I think they could probably go get him if they put in enough stuff because, I mean, I know if I was Danny Ainge, one of the things I'd like to add to my repertoire is future unprotected New York Knicks um, draft picks. But if they do that, then what do they have left? And then on the flip side, if they don't do it well, then then it's like, well, what are you waiting for? As best as I could tell, the plan is to like, let's. Hope he doesn't get traded this offseason, whether it's Brooklyn or Miami, kick the can down a little further. Maybe some of the assets appreciate, maybe Randall refines stuff, whatever. Stuff happens that's good. And then maybe a year from now, that trade, whether it's for Mitchell or someone else, looks a little different. Am I like that? Doesn't that have to be the plan right now?
3: Yeah. And I think the first of all, I think the what are we left with question is much less urgent for a team trading trading for Donovan Mitchell than it is for a team trading for Kevin Durant because Donovan Mitchell is young enough that if you don't have a championship window in years one and two, it's not that big of a deal because you can look at Donovan Mitchell as the carrot to get the next guy to come here and we'd have to open up cap space. You do a sign and trade, whatever. It's not an urgent window. And the other thing is like, as time passes a year from now, more there's going to be a new disgruntled star. The players who just signed their Supermax extensions become trade eligible. You know, something goes haywire with one of them. There's always new people. I don't know what's going to happen with Donovan Mitchell. I've already said I don't really buy the we're retooling around him line that's coming out of Utah. And I've heard competing Intel, as others have have said. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens the next month or two is going to be telling. I mean, just there's you can you can. The Kevin Durant nexus of whatever uh, is—I mean, you could connect Kevin Durant in like a spider web diagram to like nine teams, one of which could be Utah in the end, and not necessarily yeah. to trade Donovan Mitchell. Maybe Utah ends up an eight-team. Maybe who knows? But like the next month will be maybe telling on that front.
2: Did, it, I, I want to put words in your mouth. It sounds like you—you are like don't look a gift—a gift horse in the mouth if it's—I don't, I don't know what it would be—quickly and salary and. For future unprotected,
3: you know, I'm, I'm just throwing stuff against the yeah, wall. The word like, "unprotected" makes me nervous, but it. But uh, I, mean, the Hawks and the Wolves have have set the market now. For talk, for talk least-
2: to me about Lamarcus Aldridge and Joakim Noah, and um, who else we got? We got Jamal Murray and Gordon Hayward. It's just, I, I know the pain, Jack. I, I know you know. I know the pain. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry. Yeah, it is. It is amazing to go back and look at some of those deals. Like Gordon. It's Hayward, an all A team. Isn't Hayward like somehow in the, in the Marbury deal, isn't that, yes. isn't, isn't uh, that where the Hayward pick is like, it's just a crazy, just yeah. zigzag of how did this end up being a Knicks pick that turned into a good player? Oh, that's right. That trade from seven years before. I mean, we, we could go back to Scottie Pippen, but we, we don't have to. Do no, that. let's not. Let's not. No, do let's that. not do that today. You got the Scottie Pippen revenge. You Hollins gave you the Scotty Pippen revenge.
1: Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yes the, the word unprotected is frightening but like look, but that's the thing like isn't it feels like Ainge can hold if if Leon Rose made the call today it's like come on let's let's get this done it feels like he could hold Leon's feet to the fire now more than ever and if anything the Knicks negotiating position do, would it get better if it if they waited it out do you think or or You don't think it'll make a difference.
3: I think Danny Ainge is going to wait to get whatever deal is good for Utah. If he even decides to trade Donovan Mitchell. I think, I think the main reason why Utah got such a shocking to most people, at least bounty of picks from Minnesota is that. Danny Angel was fine holding on to Rudy Gobert. That was, that was what the wolves were negotiating against. They weren't really negotiating against the Hawks or the whoever name a team that needs a center or wants a center. They were negotiating against Utah being like, yeah, we're good, man. We'll run it back. Unless you just bowl us over and they bowled them over.
2: Uh, You mentioned some of the next young players. Uh, Let's, uh, you know, a general question first, I think it, and you kind of already answered this, I guess, when you said RJ is already really good and has a chance to be really special. Would it, shock you if another young player on this roster ended up being better than RJ Barrett. Cause within the fan base, there is kind of an understanding. Like he is the guy. Um, some people think he's really the guy. We'll get to that in a second, but you know, I, I like you find some of these other pieces in particular, I think Obi Toppin and I'm Quentin Grimes is growing on me real fast. Um, even though he's fits a certain type of archetype. So yeah. Would it shock you if someone ended up being better than RJ Barrett?
3: Um, Better in this sort of like traditional, really good NBA player sense. Yes. Like in terms of, can he get me 20? What does he look like on the ball? Can he get me five assists? Yeah. All of that, like RJ Barrett's going to be the best of all these guys at that. And in his last two months of last season, I think were real. And it's, he's in a really interesting spot with the Knicks because I thought last year for a lot of the year, he was kind of trapped between this like Julius Randall offense. And yep. then Oh, wait, we got Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, and we still have Derek Rose, and they run the offense. And RJ Barrett is at, at times I- a good shooter at times, a shaky shooter, a guy who I think needs the ball a lot and didn't get it that much for like extended periods of time. And to his credit made himself a pretty good three point shooter, especially from the corners. I mean, you guys probably know the numbers off the top of your head better than I do. The year before um, he was like,
2: I think he hit more from, I forget which corner it is than anybody you know, like in the league. Yeah. He was good from there.
3: And I think he's got all the tools to be a solid defensive player. I think he's a good passer. The the dilemma that the Knicks are going to find with him. And this is a first world problem is, is, a team with RJ Barrett is the number one ball handling option yeah. has a pretty firm ceiling. So what does RJ Barrett look like on a team with a higher ceiling? And does yeah. he have the tools to excel at that role? And actually, I actually think he probably will. Um, it's just a matter of sort of reconstructing the team and his game to fit that role. I'm like, I think putting like off the dribble three point shooting aside, which
2: like, is that, It's like the number one one. Yes, we want it skill for like any any on ball player in league. For me, the playmaking is the thing for him. Like if if he's like 24 or 25 and he's putting up like six assists a night, that's my number one. Like
3: realistic. Can we get there? Is that fair to say? Yeah, totally. I think he's a good passer. I think he reads the floor pretty well. Um, as a pick and roll ball handler, I'm, I'm interested in sort of the secondary ball handling kind of playmaking coming more from him, but the team has sort of been, again, confused with what its identity is on offense and too much Randall all the time has sort of stagnated that part of his game. But yeah, I think that that was always my goal for like when Tatum blew up two plus seasons ago the passing was always the question. And I said, I don't, I remember writing like, I don't ever see Tatum becoming like an eight or nine assists a game kind of guy. Now he may prove me wrong. He's that good. Yeah. But if he gets to like the Dwayne Wade six, yep. six and a half with his scoring and his defense, that's all you need. He's a number one option. He's an MVP candidate. That's it.
2: And, and with RJ, like, I, I you know what? Let the, let the finishing around the rim, even if it stays around 57, 50, it's not here yet, but I'm assuming you get it up to like 57, 58%. If he is going to get to the line like he did, from new year's Eve onwards last season, when I think he was like 12th in the NBA and free throw attempts a game from that point forward. Like I'll, I'll, I'll live with that. Um, you've now mentioned his name twice. Uh, do you, do you still maintain ownership of the Julius Randall of Julius Randall? I, was it a condominium? Was it a, was it something on a Hill? Was it a beachfront? Was it like a cabana? It was,
3: it was a, uh, no, it was a mansion at the top of Julius Randall Hill and we we rented it out. Uh, we put it. We we put it on the rental market in the middle of last season. We just had to get out of there, relocate, get a change of scenery for the year. But I, I can't sell it now, so I still That's I still have it. I still think he's look. The jump shooting from the All NBA season was crazy, and it's not it's not surprising that he wasn't able to duplicate that last year. Just went out of whack, and I don't it, know what it was. If it was expectations, yeah. if it was clashes with the coaches, the fans thing was really weird. Like. Just settle down and become a good like 18, six and six, 18, eight and six kind of player who tries hard on defense all the time. Like that player is a really good player. Like there's definitely could he could he thrive in five out basketball in a way he can't with Mitch Robinson near the rim because he can't be a roller like all that's fair. But he's still a good player. I thought last year just I, I, I would love to talk to him about like what the hell happened. It was just a weird season. It's it's only a topic we've raised about you know 12 dozen times
2: uh, over the course of the last year as we watched this human being disintegrate before our eyes. Like you mentioned on your pod, I think the term you used was he's, he's eminently gettable. I was thinking to myself, like the flu is eminently gettable. Like if a kid run around a park without their shoes on, like cocksacky, that's eminently gettable. These are not things that you want. Does any NBA team look at Julius Randle right now and be like, you know what? we bet if we get him in here and off the pressure in New York, we think that we could help. Maybe not what it was two years ago, but something closer to that than what we saw last season. Or do you like,
3: how do teams view him? If you had to say, I think they want to, there's certainly some curiosity. Um, I think the length of the extension is, is, has put the rest of the league that curiosity and sort of wait and see, like mm-hmm. I'm not, no one's really eager to do anything now. I th- I think you could, another team could get Julius Randle for probably not very much in terms of assets. I think for that to change, they, the first few months of this season have to go well on a number of fronts, but I do think there is curiosity about him. Like he's, he's an interesting, good player.
2: I I almost wonder is his destiny in the NBA as like, Honestly, kind of what he was in in New Orleans, where it's like he's kind of a six man, like quasi starter, playing a lot of center. Like, you know, but is he making too much money for that role? That's I don't know. That's that's kind of where I've resigned myself to. I think that may just be a a way to
3: get past what we witnessed last season. The money is not. He's a 50th highest paid
2: player in the league. It's it's not
3: crippling as, as the cap will continue to go up. It's 25, 27, 29 player option in the last year that is too much for a sixth man. Yeah. And what, and what you're really asking is like, in this is why everyone was fascinated with the idea of Randall and Porzingis or Randall and miles Turner yes. or Randall yes. and a stretch five. Like that yeah. was the dream Yeah, open the floor for him. But those guys are just, are just hard to find.
2: Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned Obi Toppin, uh, you have spoke, uh, spoken glowingly about Obi, uh, which is music to every Nick fans ears. Uh, and you mentioned, You know, I think you said it on a recent pod, like good things just seem to happen when he's on the floor and you could go by on off numbers for that. You could go by any number of things. You don't even need the numbers because you just kind of see it. If you and again, it kind of relates to the Randall thing. If you were Leon Rose and like, I was even thinking like, you know, almost a decade ago when the Raptors traded Rudy Gay, I forget
3: what they got back for Rudy Gay in that deal, but like. A bench, a fully functioning NBA bench. There you go.
2: Like, is there almost an addition by subtraction here thing at play? Or do you, have you not seen, or if you were running the Knicks, have you not seen enough yet from Obi to say like, look, I just, it's, it's ham sandwich time with Julius Randle. Let's just you know, move in this other direction.
3: What is ham sandwich time? I trade you for a ham sandwich. That
2: is, that is, yes, I'm going to, I'll give him credit. Cause he, it, yeah, I don't think i my Alan stepping That was his uh, turn. Uh, when we were talking about this, I like ham sandwiches. Ham sandwiches are pretty good. Ham
3: sandwiches are delicious. I put some melted cheese. on I prefer melted cheese on my ham sandwich, but that's me. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, mm. I, how about this more music to Nick's fans ears? How about we see them play together? For more than like 50 minutes in a season. How about we see Randall and Toppin together and just see kind of what that looks like? Uh, Because that's a fast, potentially switchy, interesting lineup full of speed and playmaking. I don't know what the aversion is to playing that lineup other than we got to have a rim protector out there at all times. And Todd Gibson is grandfathered into as many minutes as he wants. And Todd is fine. Like he plays pretty well when he tends to play. But how about that? How about we give that lineup a little shot?
2: Well, you, you just excommunicated yourself from the church of Tibbs. I don't know if that was a valuable place where you'd like to worship on your, on your off days, but I think that's where we're at.
3: Let's give it a shot. I mean, just give it a, give it a chance, but yeah, I mean, I, it, so what you're really asking is, is, is Randall, the addition by subtraction thing is, is Randall just blocking this guy from playing and thus blocking a different construction of the team that is more Maybe. interesting. For sure. I'm not ready to go there quite yet. Okay. Um, But I think he needs to play more. And if that means he needs to play more with Randall, then so be it. But good things seem to happen when he's on the floor. He's fast. He's energetic. He's a decent playmaker in space. He can jump out of the gym. He tries really hard. The shot obviously needs some work, but he's confident taking it for the most part. Um, And you need to see if the good things seem to happen is like an indictment of the Knicks starting lineup. So of course the bench all has great on off numbers because the starters have been such a sinkhole (laughs) or is it because of what this guy does and, and who's in tandem with him driving that? Like I need to know more. I I feel like I know more about Emmanuel quickly, even though I don't really know what Emmanuel quickly is in the NBA than I do about Obi Toppin, And, and that for me is, is a problem as, as a, if I put a Knicks hat on and think about the team.
2: Yeah. Considering you just, spent the eighth pick on the draft uh, on him two years ago. And we're still asking those questions now, as you said quickly, we know a little bit more about, um, I'm sure you noticed it was really kind of the last like 20 to games, 20 games to like third of last season. He seemed to reach, he didn't make like a leap or anything, but there, there was a figuring out of stuff that was happening in real time as a driver, as a passer, as a foul drawer. I, I, I still think he tops out as like a six man, maybe a really good six man on a really good team. Is do you is there is there an are you curious about quickly in a way that maybe um, is not apparent that you know to, to onlookers right now?
3: I'm just pulling up his numbers right now. The, the shooting numbers are still not like he. The looks two point like he, shooting is is problematic. Yes, forty percent <laughs> is a rookie. Forty five percent last year. That's part of the reason I am curious about Emmanuel Kuku because he is such an audacious shot taker and the numbers. Do not back up the audacity and yeah. yet when they go in i'm like i like this guy this guy hit 91 pull-up threes last year which is I like did, not an insignificant number and he's like 30 feet out cool i'm the manual quickly i'll yeah. take i'm like okay man that's that's fine like it's kind of entertaining to watch and like you said i even wrote about it in my 10 things column late last season he had a string of like five six seven assist kind of games he's a great rebounder i'm not really sure how he does yeah. that but you had a bunch of good assist games, like making the cross court pass on the pick and roll to the corner shooter at the right time, faking that pass, hitting the roll, man, like doing the kind of manipulative stuff that makes you think, oh, okay, there's something interesting going on here. And he's only, what is he? 22 years old. Maybe he's yes. turned 23. 22, 23, some of that. Uh He just turned 23, 19 days ago. Um Happy birthday, man. It, like it made you think, huh? Am I, does he need more of a shot? Like he's, pretty long for the point guard position like could be an interesting player but if you had to force me to guess now I do I do think he probably ends up a really good sixth or seventh man and that that's doesn't sound great to Knicks fans but for a pick in the 20s or wherever he was picked like that's a that's a great outcome yeah um,
2: we love Emmanuel quickly here Um.
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: So we've just talked about Obi. we talked about RJ, we talked about Quickly. Um, we don't have to talk about Grimes. I mean, I think Grimes, we'll see what he is. But
3: Yeah, we'll and, see. We'll yeah. see. The, 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 the glimpses last year were encouraging, yeah.
2: I thought. I, I'm, I'm a fan of his. Um, Cam, I... <laughs> He, Cam's the mystery box. We don't have to talk about the mystery box right now. It's not going great. It, it's not ideal. Uh, I, I, do you think he plays on a different team opening night? I, I do, for what it's worth.
3: I don't, we're getting late in the transaction period. Well, I guess not because Durand is holding <laughs> holding the rest of it up. I, I there was so much noise about him at the draft and nothing happened yeah. that I'm, I'm tempted to say maybe he does open the season for the Knicks. But okay, I don't. Um, know. So they have all this young stuff,
2: which is great, and they go out and get Jalen Brunson. I'm a huge fan of Jalen Brunson just because I don't need to tell you why I'm a huge fan of Jalen Brunson. It's, it's obvious. Um, but that is a, a a player you ostensibly sign when you were trying to win games. And I feel like a lot of the criticism the Knicks have gotten from, not from you, from others, you know, who have analyzed their offseason is like, this is the direction they should be meaning all the kids. This is where they should be going. Just whatever, go lose 50 games. And then they go out and sign Brunson to go and kind of thread this weird needle. It, Do you appreciate that criticism? Where where do you come down on Jalen? Where do you come down on like kind of this,
3: what they are attempting to do this year? There's definitely a risk that they have capped themselves out between Randall and Brunson. That's 50 something million a year now going forward and traded some future assets, not so many that I'm like really losing sleep over it. Mostly second round picks to be a mediocre team with no clear pivot out of mediocrity. Like, I don't think this team, if you just kept this same roster together for yeah. three years, I don't think this is like becoming a 55 win team. Um, but uh, on the other hand, like Joe Bronson is a good player. I like being in the business of getting good <laughs> players. And it's I, the criticism that kind of strikes me as unfair because the, everyone's been begging the Knicks to get a yes. functional starting point guard. For five years. Oh, they missed out on Brogdon. They missed out on Red Van Vliet. They missed out on XYZ. Oh, Kemba didn't work out. And then they go get a young functional point guard for 25 a year, which is, is not as, as bad as people thought it was going to be quite, uh, you know, people were thinking, is it going to be the max? Oh my God. And, and people ripped them for it. And yeah, Jalen Brunson might be like the 17th, 18th, 19th best starting point guard in the NBA. Okay. Like, I don't, they're not going to tank. I don't know, like pick a direction. Okay. I mean, sometimes picking a direction is about the timing of it. Like the Spurs just nailed it. The Jazz just nailed it. The time just isn't right for the Knicks. They think they have other paths open to them. Let's see if they can actually execute those paths. Two more, and then I'm going
2: to get you out of here because I know you have a heart out. If you were a Knicks fan, what is the number one realistic or semi-realistic, have some fun with it, thing you are rooting for? This year, whether it's something to happen to another team, you know, some another player gets agitated with his organization, something that happens on the
3: court with one of the young guys, any, anything. Hmm. I mean, I already feel like I I don't have to hope so much for the jazz situation to go haywire. So I'm not I'm going to list that on the back burner because that's rickety already. And I don't need to maybe push it over the edge. I'll say. um I'll say I get I end the year with more clarity about what Barrett and Toppin are going to be offensively that the that the offense evolves in a way that crystallizes a little bit what uh, of what those guys will look like on a good functional NBA team in extended minutes and I don't know how that works or what the rotation ends up being but I want to get out of this year thinking okay RJ Barrett is this and Obi Toppin is this and they're good at these things offensively and that's how they fit into the puzzle piece of a really good team. And maybe that's Toppin becoming a stretch four, like a proper stretch four for parts of games. Maybe that's Randall uh, developing some sort of post-up game. Maybe uh, who knows what it is, but that just more, not Randall uh, Barrett. Um, Something, some clarity about what those guys are. Cause I can't, I can't end this season. I can't end this season being like, yeah, I don't, I I still, those guys, I've still got a lot to learn about Obi Toppin and RJ Barrett. Like it's too late. I got to do more learning.
2: My, You mentioned like a nexus of, of Kevin Durant. My nexus of RJ Barrett has like Jimmy Butler in like one top corner and like Jalen Brown in the other top corner. And there are reasons he's never going to be as good at the things that those guys are the best at. But if there's like a world, he could be like 80,
3: 90th percentile at certain things And both. Is that fair to you? Yeah, he's a he's a really interesting package of skills and he can do a lot of things. I think that's why yeah. that's he's good at a lot of things. What is he going to be great at and what, what are the Knicks best served at him getting at him getting great at is, are there, are the questions? Um,
2: I, I just have to ask this. I dedicate all my energy to this team and it feels incredibly draining at times. And I still don't no, feel like no, I
3: you've made a success out of it. You can't say that the, you're rolling, man. It's great. It's it's been, it's been great.
2: It's been wonderful because I. I have to pay attention to all 29 teams to a certain extent to know what I'm talking about. Um, you are the only media. And I don't say this to like build myself up. Cause like, God knows I'm not trying to do that. You're the only media person, national media person who I read and watch and all of them listen to who like, he knows more about the Knicks than me. He is better at analyzing the Knicks than I am. And you are, it's one of 30. So my, how, how, how do you do it? Zach? I have to
3: ask. The, the dirty little secret. To my job is that I watch basketball like that's that's really all it is. Like I'm eat I'm vegetables, right? Two two um, games a day, right? Two games a day minimum, sometimes two and a half, sometimes three. If, if I'm on West Coast time and I just have extra time and waking up at five in the morning randomly or something, or if there's a crunch time I want to see from the previous night. And I tell people this all the time. It's the simplest, dumbest advice. I watch the game. I'm not on Twitter, at my phone. I only take calls if it's really important during a game and I pause it. So I'm not half watching seven minutes of the game. I'm for better or worse, not on the exercise bike, watching a game, half watching it. Like I'm just sitting there watching a game, occasionally taking notes. And my wife always jokes like some of my buddies like, Oh man, I really would love to watch a game with you. And my wife's like, no, you wouldn't. It sucks. Like it's totally antisocial and boring. And like, he rewinds stuff. It's maddening. Even I, like, she doesn't like to do it. And honestly, like, I just think, that's how you learn the game is then you got to talk to people and all that. But like yeah. part of it is just, you got, and it sounds like it sounds easy, but that's, it doesn't sound easy to me. <laughs> that's every, but it's, it is fun. Like it's basketball. Watching basketball is fun. Yeah, it's but if you're watching two, two and a half games a night, you have no life. That's your life. That's your nightlife. That's your evening life. You're not going to parties. You're not hanging out with your friends for eight months of the year, which is totally fine. That's the quote unquote, not, it's not a sacrifice. That's just the job. But I just think, You just got to watch a lot of basketball. You learn a lot about the players and the schemes and you notice certain things and you you watch the Knicks one night. You watch. The key is you got to watch every team enough so that when they try something different, you realize right away, oh, that's different. That's a different substitution pattern. That's a different. Oh, I don't remember them using that scheme. And that opens up all sorts of interesting questions. That's the key.
2: Well, you've watched the Knicks a lot over the years, enough to fittingly um christen them the kazoos i'm hopeful that's
3: not that's 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 not my fault that's you know whose fault the kazoos is
2: we don't have to we don't don't have to say his name um hey the the t-shirt you're wearing new york mets they they got a new owner a few years ago they're they're doing pretty good maybe it's maybe it's karma maybe the i think have they at least moved past kazoo i think i I, is that
3: are we there yet or no the saddest This is, I shouldn't say the saddest. No, (laughs) Um, please. um, The thing, one of the last things I wrote for Grantland before it shut down was, and I'm so glad I wrote this. I obviously had no idea the site was going to shut down. And otherwise I would not have had a place to write this kind of thing was the Mets (laughs) made the World Series in 2015. And I was living in Queens at the time, obviously the borough that the Mets play in. um, And it was just Mets mania. And I remember driving somewhere. We didn't even have a car. So I don't know where I was driving. I must have a zip card somewhere. And I was listening to to the Francesa's radio show. And I hadn't, the point of this is I hadn't followed baseball in. I remember the column well. In in 10 years. And Francesa is on the radio. Francesa, the ultimate Yankees homer, a guy who like you hate love as a Mets fan, um, is sitting there saying this Mets pitching staff is the best pitching staff he's ever seen the best young pitching staff he's ever seen since the seventies Orioles of like Jim Palmer and all that. And I'm sitting there like the Mets were the most important thing in my life outside my family. And honestly, they're not going to listen to this like (laughs) rivaling my family Um, from like 1984 to 2003. And then as my career went on as my social life and my marriage and all that. I just sort of like, you don't have time to watch. Like I watched every game, every game when I could, when I was in college, I re- like refreshed Netscape to try to like follow the game pitch by pitch. I, wa- I watch every game. That's like, you can't make that commitment as you become an adult person with responsibilities. Then the NBA comes in and I just can't, there's not room for another sport and they make the world series. And I know like three guys on the team and it just broke my heart, and now they're good again. They'll fuck it up because that just seems to be what happens. <laughs> but they're good, like everybody. What? Remember Generation K? I remember. Generation K: Paul Wilson, Bill Pulzford, Jason Isringhausen. They all fucking got hurt because that's what happens to the Mets. So they'll fuck this up too. But it just, I, it, it's so like I'm glad the Mets are doing awesome. It just, I'm just out, and it hurts me every day because I'm like literally 84 when I was six, seven years old to 2003. They were a top two most important thing in my life. I, the only jersey I own, actual jersey, like full-on replica, real official jersey, the one you pay a do stupid amount of money yeah. for, is number nine, Todd Hundley. That's the oh, only one I own one. in any sport.
2: Fantastic. It's great. Jersey.
3: I'm still angry at Armando Benitez still for game one of the subway series. It's the most painful sports moment of my life. Nothing will ever top it. I knew the world series was over. As soon as that game ended, they were not going to win the world series because that was such a gut punch. I knew and I knew it was going to happen. I never trusted Armando Benitez ever.
1: John, can I jump in and commiserate with Zach for a second? Not only am I still mad at Armando Benitez, this wave of analytics that's tried to tell me he's actually the second greatest reliever in Mets history. No, all
3: I have are bad memories of Armando (laughs) Benitez. Game one in two thousand. Uh, during that end of the season run after 9-11. He blew two games against the Braves. Blew a big game against the Diamondbacks in 2002. And Why are you oh, let's bringing Zach's forget, memory back to this? Let's not forget 1999, where they were trying to come back from 3-0 against the Braves. He blows the ninth inning in Turner Field. Right there with you, Zach. I remember talking myself into like, oh man, they traded for Billy Taylor from the A's, like yeah. the side armor, like that's going to really show up the bullpen. He stunk as soon as he got to the Mets. Benitez... People don't believe me when I say this. There were there were chips in my parents living room wall from me throwing the remote Mm -hmm. over rage at Armando Benitez's and John Franco blowing saves and yep. blowing leads. I just can't trust those guys. Can't, but you can't trust anybody. They all get all the relievers choke in the playoffs except Rivera, which is so infuriating on about 50 different levels. It's the other team that gets it's literally the other team that we grew up around
1: fans of that got to watch the game. We don't, closer we don't of all have
3: time for me to tell you guys the story of game one of the 2000 World Series. I just can't I can't I can't do it. I, I think just,
1: we got it with the yeah. paint chips in the wall being gone.
3: But now they're good, right? They're good. The owner tweets a lot. Yeah. I know who the owner is. He's obviously Stephen Cohen, a huge finance guy. He tweets a lot. They have a lot of pitchers. They're probably all get hurt. One of them was just coming back from injury. It's the, but they're they're the Mets, man. My dad taught me at a very young age son could pick any baseball team you want. He didn't want me to be a Red Sox fan. He's a Red Sox fan. He thought it would just be a lifetime of pain. So mm-hmm. you can pick any team you want. I might advise you a national league team. The Mets are your local team. My your mother's from Pittsburgh the Pirates are pretty good. The first baseball game I ever went to is at Three River Stadium. Yeah. You just can't pick the Yankees. That's the only thing. So only that's the only rule of the house. That's why
2: we love you, Zach. That is one of many reasons, uh, Zach, you can't thank you enough for everything. Uh, I I mean, this from the bottom of my heart, you, you, I owe you everything.
3: Oh, Stop! stop, stop, no, no,
2: no, 10 seconds or less. The reason I started writing about basketball is because of you. So for what it's worth, Thank you uh, for for that, and uh, thank you for continuing to cover the sport because it's more fun uh,
3: when you do it. That's mind blowing to hear. Congratulations on 500 episodes. I know the grind. I know the grind from going from outsider to insider, and how much work it takes. And for every person that tries it and succeeds, there are nine who try it and give up because it's really, really hard. And they have to make money, and they have to find a way to support their families. So hats off to you. And um, look. I live in Connecticut now. I was a New Yorker for 20 years. I didn't grow up liking the Knicks. In fact, I grew up not liking the Knicks. Um, but God, would I love a world in which New York City had two playoff teams. Just let me go to home playoff games for as long as possible. That's all I want. I don't do the colors, the jerseys. They don't mean anything to me anymore. Just give me home playoff games.
2: I, I will uh, buy you in uh, extravagantly priced beverage uh, at msg if and when that uh, day comes and i can see you there sounds good let's go mets <laughs> ladies and gentlemen zach well all right i hope you enjoyed that could you tell that i enjoyed it <laughs> just a little bit i was trying to hold it together the whole time i hope i succeeded um that's it for this episode uh thank you again for checking it out if you haven't already done so subscribe to the show subscribe to the youtube feed um, so you could see J- Zach's uh, beautiful face on there. we're we're inching ever closer. I'm gonna keep pushing this until we get there. Inching ever closer to fi- uh, ten thousand subscribers on YouTube. So uh, please do that. if you dig the show, leave a five star rating, leave a little review. Those things mean a lot to us. and I think that's it. Um, we got some summer league post games coming up um I think we have another pod later this week, maybe or maybe not. I don't know Andrew. if if we don't feel free to edit that out or leave it in whatever We, we got more a lot more good stuff coming your way uh until then take care and enjoy the rest of your week